Hi, welcome to Story Guts. Uh, this is a podcast where we explore what the stories we tell tell about us. Introduce yourself, Molly. I'm Molly Curran. I'm Alice Lai. And today we've also got a special guest with us. Um, today with us is Becky Hickson. Hello. One of the foremost Shakespeare scholars in the land. Oh, yes. Uh, Becky, do you want to say anything about yourself to introduce yourself? Um, I am one of the other housemates that was watching Avatar that Molly mentioned in the last episode. Yes. <laughs> and I also am Felix's other mom. Ta-da. And, and like me, Becky does uh, uh, studies English literature. Yes. Though she's more of a early modernist, as yes. they're called. So yes. the Shakespeare thing is, uh, will one day accurate. be true, hopefully. No way. She'll be the foremost Shakespearean scholar in I'd the world. I'd have to kill all the people I want to work with. First. All the Stevens that are ahead of you in line. <laughs> all, all of the many Stevens. Some of them will die out soon. They're pretty old. They so. are old. That's rough. All right. Um, so this week, uh, we're thinking about talking... We're talking about space, the final frontier. Mm. And uh, specifically, kind of more, more generally, the idea of... Yeah, just like the idea of frontiers as place, like unexplored places, um, as well as like the more quotidian context of like Star Trek, um, Star Wars, where get into what space the final frontier kind of means in those contexts versus the context of other shows we've talked about, like Firefly or that we know of, like Firefly or um, what are some other ones? Uh, or like even stuff like, uh... Like Stargate, Doc- Doctor Who even. Oh yeah, yeah, Stargate's a good one um, that I've never seen. <laughs> well, I could talk about Stargate. Okay, but, um, so as usual, uh, we're gonna do a little personal reflection before we get into the, the nitty-gritty. Uh, though I'm guessing none of us have been to space. No. Uh, oh, didn't I tell you that was where I went on vacation last year? Where? Where? Where in space? Um, the, the <laughs> nebula... <laughs> the Nebula Galaxy, Molly. That you said Uranus. <laughs> well, I was the, okay. Sorry, no, I'm sorry. Okay. I was hoping. I was hoping for a for a location rather than a made up space place. I don't know any. I guess I put you uh, on the spot. The Orion's Belt. Wow. Right. All right. Drops of Jupiter. No. <laughs> we're we're gonna stop this line of conversation. Uh, oh. So. When you think about space, the final frontier, or I guess when you think about um, space as it appears in fiction, uh, what are some things that come to mind? Like, what are some associations you have? Um, like, what are the first things you've thought about when we talked about space? Mm. Endless. Yeah. Just vast. like, yeah. Like, but like in fiction. E- and what do you mean? Okay. I, I, you, what do you think of? Well, I guess I I, th- I think you've I, got an idea. Okay. Mind. Yeah. Sorry. I'll I'll start with me. Um, when I when we when I first heard a topic, uh, for today's, which was, um, I was just sort of thinking about. Well, yeah, Firefly sort of comes to mind. Um, this idea that uh the transformation of the kind of sleek futures of Star Trek, 
um, and sleek worlds, uh, that of like human, like you know, humanity being like the pinnacle of technological development, like sort of visiting unexplored worlds or savage worlds um, into like the more Star Warsian, uh, fire, Fireflyian, <laughs> like the not the non civilized humanity exploring worlds where um, it's like much more on an equal footing or like not necessarily in this stark unbalanced like we have all this we have replicators and like whatever and you have uh civil conflicts um and into like the we're just looking for some place to hide kind of that kind of we think of in space opera or like sci-fi sci-fi works um which is you know and, and sometimes in a lot of sci-fi stuff there's not even anyone else which is also very frontier-esque like we're if we think about the um, colonization stories, um, with like the Martian or Aurora or terraforming Mars, where humanity's all that's out there, and it really is like we're resting the a place for us back from you know inhospitable nature, uh, versus um, kind of like the culture series where everyone's zooming around in spaceships, um, and like you know they figured out how to solve hunger, and now it's just these like kind of highbrow ideas about politics, cult politics and science fiction and uh, artificial intelligences. I mean, I guess I I get what you're saying, but I feel like you're uh oversimplifying a little bit. Um like I don't know, I feel like in in very few of the the ideas of these like highly technical futures um where humanity has like flourished and has advanced in particular ways are they still sort of without the conflict of like still having those sort of things of like greed or or whatever like the the things that people like um, uh, like what do you mean like what I guess I guess I'm thinking like like I think you're you're right in saying like Star Trek initially to my understanding was uh this thing that definitely presented humanity as um the the ultimate sort of like civilization um and then the the federacy federation mm -hmm. federation mm -hmm. like in general um as sort of being this is the the civilized and their job is to sort of go into the world um kind of like anthropology style right mm -hmm. and like you know just observe and don't the prime directive don't interact <laughs> um but i feel like that was a a sort of gene roddenberry thing um, that, like, once he died, they've been working to, like, undo because they want to have, like, more interesting conflict than that. So, like, I feel like that's not true in, like, Deep Space Nine, mm -hmm. where I feel like, um, it both, like, works against the idea that only the Federation is sort of, quote-unquote, civilized, but also, um, really, like, problematizes humanity's role in particular places. Right, yeah, I, and I think... Having only seen Deep Space Nine, that's kind of um, a problem because I, I hear that it's very different from the other ones being sort of so focused on a single, single place and a single conflict. Mm -hmm. um, in Deep Space Nine, the Federation's like occupying, like basically overseeing the turnover of a planet, Bajor, back to the Bajorans who recently suffered like this um, world, like this an analogous conflict with another. I mean, it was basically, they had a. Um occupied like they they were occupied by a by the Cardassians which was a sort of like superpower 
who, um, you know, enslaved and put these people in camps and um, imprisoned them, etc. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and and there's a lot of interesting episodes that's kind of, um, yeah, like Molly said, problematizing the Federation's role as, like, oh, anthropological, like, we're not going to interfere, we're just here to sort of um, let Bajorans be Bajor, uh, while the Cardassians, while being aware that, like, the Car- that's the literally the only reason the Cardassians are coming in, guns blazing and retaking the world, is because they have this kind of uh, UN security, you know, United Nations-esque uh, council kind of breathing down their backs, being like, don't do it. Right. I mean, and the, even the fact that, that, see, look at, okay, but it doesn't matter. The fact that, like, Deep Space Nine is um, something that the Federation claims when it's sort of in Bajor's vicinity, right? Um, and it was, it was like Tarek Noor, which was a Cardassian sort of um, stronghold before that. Um, so it has this very, like, militarily and um, uh, financially advantageous position because they discover a wormhole. This is basically what happens. This is, like, the premise. Um, and so the Federation sort of, like, holding on to it, I feel like, is deeply suspicious, too. Um, or, like, something that we can at least question. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of these um, shows and, and movies in general are kind of playing with the concept of, I guess, humans are humans no matter where and when they are. Um, and then you put them in different sp- like situations where suddenly you know there's no there's no air on the spaceship or um they run into an alien civilization that they can't communicate with um and so usually though the end point is always that the humans kind of come out in the end um not necessarily on top but mm-hmm. victorious again in some way either they have neutralized the threat they have become friends with the threat and all the people who are trying to be violent against the threat those humans are gone because they don't deserve, deserve to be there um, or if the threat was a violent threat, then it's, you know, it's gone now, and the humans have remained. It's, I don't know, it's just, um, in a sense, like, the space opera still, though, very much is the, the human voice um, in the wilderness, in a sense, and that's mm-hmm. what space has become, is the unknown um, that needs to be explored. Mm-hmm. And that, through that exploration, though, it's still always, like, the human perspective, um, Okay, yeah. I, I, sorry, God. I, I mean, like, I feel like what we're saying but not saying <laughs> is that, like, very clearly the idea of space as the final frontier directly maps on to uh, sort of U.S. settler colonialism yes. uh, wherein, and sort of this, like, manifest destiny idea, right? Mm-hmm. And um, wherein the alien is sort of the native, right? Mm-hmm. Or the indigenous. Yeah. Um, sorry, I just wanted to make sure we said that so that <laughs> yes. there weren't any people listening going like, why aren't they saying this very <laughs> obvious thing? Say the words. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. I think, um, and Becky, Becky's uh, note about, I think it's, it's always funny because it is, there is like a, human, humans are always the best balance of things mm-hmm. um and i think we like star trek being the most obvious one uh for the the only reason being that in star wars we don't really know what the traits of other aliens are other than they look funny they're kind of like there in the scene 
but in Star Trek, there's, you know, the Vulcans are kind of, like, a, a, a notch too logical to, like, work in all situations, and the, uh, the, what's, what's Quark's thing? Race? Oh. Species? Like, the lobe ones? Yeah, I know. Oh, who you yeah, mean. the Fergs? Um, no. The Ferengi. The Ferengi. Yeah. the Ferengi are kind of these weird Jewish well, stereotypes. I mean, the Ferengi, um, I feel like the Ferengi were like just a throwaway joke oh until Quark, and even then, still mostly a throwaway joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Or or we get um, species that are kind of effectively human, like Bajorans, where we're where we sort of accept that they come from like a different cultural background uh, and a different cultural history, but uh, we're not physiologically. Um, they're not sort of like, ah, all Bajorans are a little too, little too mystical. Um, <laughs> right? Like I mean, humanity- they, they are religious, which is different from, uh, the, most of the Federation. Right. But I, but, but I think yeah, that's, that's cultural. I know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's really interesting because if we're, when we talk about like, uh, the frontier, right? America, col- colonials, like not colonialist, but like terror expansionist phase, mm-hmm. um, we have this like oh like we uh we being like america like you know the settlers are in a better position to understand the land and to like use the land than the already existing natives mm-hmm. which is kind of what like uh we end up with when you know the federation intercedes in a conflict that they have no context or history with between two other alien nations or whatever and then they're like we fixed your problem. Well, but I mean, the 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 idea, right, is that they're not supposed to intercede in the conflict unless they are engaged in the conflict. Okay, yes, but I've literally never seen an episode where they actually see such a conflict and not do anything about it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. Because like that. Because it, I think it gives um, it gives a good background for why they're not like looking for trouble mm-hmm. because they're not supposed to be but like the episodes we get are like you know the ship's about to explode we gotta save them or like there's a we have a stowaway or like there's a horrible virus and uh james has it who's james i don't know i just okay. made up a name for a crew member i guess Red shirt. i guess yeah. i mean i guess i believe you but i just can't off the top of my head like think about it one way or the other just based on Deep Space Nine, a.k.a. the only series I watched. Okay, let's turn it over to our Trek historian. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I was actually going to move in a different direction. I've only um, seen the, the Star Trek, the recent movies, which I feel like a lot of people who are actual Trekkies would probably kill me about. Um, if we could bring my dad on, can we do a call-in? Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess we can. No, we can't. I was... Oh, I can make his dad. No. <laughs> he has, like, a Bostonian accent. Spurk is I real. Can't do it. Spirk, what was that? I said Spurk is real. What is uh, Spurk is Spock and Quirk. Kirk. Kirk. Oh, oh. You know, I have read some fan fiction on that. Spock okay. and Kirk. Yeah. I mean, Quirk. No, Kirk. 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 Okay, Captain right. Kirk. Okay. Wait, really quick. So I was just what you guys were talking about. I kind of wanted to do like the opposite part, mm-hmm. which is um, you know, in in shows like Firefly or in. Um, Star Wars, we get, you know, without, like, an alien species, it's, like, the threat is the one that humans create for themselves. So, Mm -hmm. in Firefly, um, the, what the hell are they called again? Reapers? Yeah, they're, they're, you know, an experiment gone wrong on humans. Uh And then with, um, 
with the especially the most recent Star Wars like I feel like that's the kind of thing we get from Luke's mistake is that you know we make the and I feel I've just seen so many things on like Facebook and Twitter about people's long things about also you know how um you know in, in some sense the Jedi have created the Siths Okay, Overall. that's that's kind of like who who tried to murder Snoke when he was a kid. No, not right? those. We're thinking like they're mainly specifically like Kylo Ren and Darth Vader, like forces who could have helped them um, make a balance, like okay, you know, fix the balance, eh. but in a sense, kind of threw it off. I, yeah, yeah. It's still I, just like when there isn't an alien threat, it's like we have to make our own. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think uh, well, I mean, at least in Firefly, and I'm gonna. Like, a lot of the conflict, like, it's not, the Reapers represent maybe, like, an Reavers. ex- Reavers. Reavers? Aren't they Reavers? That's, that sounds right. Okay, yeah. Reavers. Because it's not, it's not an actual word. Okay. <laughs> so. Uh, the Reavers represent a, maybe, like, an existentialist threat at a couple of points, but a lot of their, like, day-to-day is just, is, is just, like, a lot more- Oh, we're outlaws and we're gonna yeah. get caught. So, which which supports your point. Like it's not necessarily uh, refutes it. Um, well, I mean they're 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 rebels, right? Yeah. I mean they're like very much directly map onto like the U.S. Civil War. They lost the war. They're the rebels still fighting. They're the they're the South. No, <laughs> they are. You can no. find lots of stuff about this. Wait, what? What? What was their? Um, what were they fighting about again? Do you remember in Firefly? Um, I, I they don't were the know. brown coats, and then it was. I mean, I pretty much it came down to I think that the government wanted more control than we think is right. Like they wanted to consolidate. Oh. They were states' power rights and people. Okay, okay, so they were states' areas. rights. <laughs> they wanted to secede. Sorry, stop saying that. Oh, you're ruining <laughs> but, this for me. But but for real, there actually is a lot of stuff about how yeah. mm-hmm. the Civil War was very much an influence on the, oh, I can see the making yeah. of that show. And I think and let's and if we think about the frontier narrative as well, like the the idea, like we want to find land that hasn't been settled, and you know, a large part of that was like a kind of like a weird jockeying governmental states like slavery debate mm-hmm. right in the first like when you when you when you made a new state you accordingly got representation in the government and it was a big thing whether like whether the state was pro or anti-slavery that was what sparked like the great compromise uh and that's what a lot like a lot of the uh midwest midwestern states kind of had that encoded as early part of their history like do we support slavery? Like, did the people who come here, were they, A, trying to find a place where they could have slaves, or B, trying to, like, not do that? Um, which is kind of funny. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of aside the point, because in Firefly, we do not get any, uh, nuance, really, other than government bad and (laughs) guns good. Yeah, essentially. (laughs) I think the closest thing we get is the pacifist. That's the uh, the shepherd. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And then uh, of course Simon and his sister, but they're coming from that space and they've been ejected out of it. So in a right. sense, they really don't represent that. Right. Yeah, I guess obviously. it's also this sort of like um, 
it's not just government bad, but, like, right, this, like, elite, yeah. the elite, the wealthy. It's like the Hunger Games. Yeah, it's like the Hunger <laughs> Games, um, which, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, the elite and the wealthy do suck, but. <laughs> right, and then, and then we got, and we also have that in Star Wars, too, right, with the, at least with the most recent movie, we also get a slice of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. the elite and the wealthy, they don't care about the conflict, they're just, they're you know, war money. profiteers. Um, this DJ's um, explicitly, like, excusatory, like, like, I forgot what the term is, but, like, the way he distances himself from, yeah. from the conflict is like, oh, yeah, they blow you up, you blow them up. It's, like, the great mm-hmm. DJ. He's the guy they pick up. Oh, oh the I hacker. Didn't, God, I didn't yeah. realize he had a name. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, I guess I do. Yeah, I should have just said the hacker. Yeah. Um, and he's just sort of like, it doesn't, like, I, don't, I, you can't say what I'm doing is bad because it's all, like, it's all the great wheel, man. Mm-hmm. You know? And, weird. Which is a weird, but... But I think um, kind of is an interesting third side um, between like, oh, the corrupt elite, the corrupt, decadent, um, non-frontier people versus the trustworthy, hard-boiled, hard-working frontier people, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that kind of comes up in, I mean, at, at the very least, definitely in Star Wars, Star Wars and Firefly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... But at the same time, like the frontier is also... A really crappy place, right? Especially like, in Firefly. Like, in, if we really get that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in Firefly. But if you think about the first movie of the sequels in Star Star Wars, where Rey is like, you know, she she's making an honest living on Jakku, on Jakku. But like, she's like basically she's being fleeced by you know Liam Neeson going one quarter rations no. or whatever. That was Liam Neeson? Actually, maybe it was someone else. Oh my gosh. There were, a bunch no. of, like, there were a bunch of guest voices, though. Okay, that's actually really funny. Right, yeah. yeah. So so it's kind of like, so, you know, and then we have, I guess, uh, what's her name's Katina Barr, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is like the lively, but like there's no, like when, okay, let's just think about the first prequel movie when Finn is like, I'm I'm leaving, I'm going out to the rim with like these two uh random do yeah. random strangers. Like, do we see that as of like if it weren't if it wasn't for the fact that he had like a moral duty to uh Ray, it's like we I could have seen like this spin-off, like Finn plus two randos, like, you know, just hopping around the galaxy and <sighs> sometimes the law catches up to them and sometimes they get into scraps because they you know, bite off more than they can chew on the outer rim, like the adventures of Finn and Blep. Uh, I'd watch that. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I mean... Anything for more especially we, Yeah, especially we saw Poe coming later. Mm. I'm excited for that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> um, yeah, and I think, I think maybe this is sort of um, a distinction that we can make between sort of the the space opera or or space western or whatever you want to call it that um where the the sort of two places are sort of the frontier the outskirts whatever and then sort of the the metropole or whatever the mm-hmm. um but everyone sort of belongs in space it's just a i mean really it's like um uh, honest. Our, it's just like society, but like lifted into mm-hmm. space and spread across planets with like. So so what's the idea of like the the people who the quote unquote land lovers or like people who like so we have so we kind of map the metropole onto right the urban centers. Yeah. We map frontier onto like this non-existent frontier place like that doesn't 
that we don't have in or the old frontiers. No, I mean, it's I really mean, it's like the, the it, yeah, it's the it's the outskirts. I mean, it's the Firefly is a space cowboy though too. Yeah. Like I'm thinking like back in the time when like the golden <laughs> days of westerns. You know, I think people are still kind of going back to that a bit now in in space narratives because that's the unexplored place that we have. I mean, theoretically, mm-hmm. in the o- in the world, the unexplored places space are the ocean. Exactly, or like ocean it's like westerns. the ocean depths. Like that's on Earth what we have not explored. Um, but otherwise, it's like, what have humans not touched? Oh, yes, the vast unknown of space. I, I mean, and, and I think and it's honest, also... honest day's work at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> it's with also to have these, Mr. like... Mr. Krabs and Spidey. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It has been explored. Bikini bottom. <laughs> to have these um, settings as well that are um, uh, isolated... Um, poor that have this particular sort of locale that we can recognize of your sort of like barkeep and your uh your sheriff figure whoever that is Mm -hmm. and your local thieves i mean really yeah it's the it's the western town uh placed in space because that story still appeals in a way i don't i don't think i can articulate why we like it so much but like we like the cowboy we like the lone kind of wanderer who's for good because it's like the robin hood figure right yeah get in and firefly i feel i feel like it's definitely a combination of um both like the the western appeals because they're of the like the vigilante individualism like any like one person with a gun can make all the difference for good Mm -hmm. or for ill um, and like the, and the, the romanticization of small town mm. values of like everyone knows everyone else's name. And like, you know, you walk in the, you, you like, you bang open those like saloon doors and everyone's like, you know, there's trouble in town. I don't know that the, like the frontier town is exactly the same as the small town values. That's like the town in Westworld is not like the small town. Okay, that's a good point. But yeah, I think the romanticization is. But is I think there's key. a romanticization, but, but not necessarily. Yeah, okay, that's a good point because it's um the frontier town's also like it's a little racy. There's like <laughs> mm-hmm. there's the there's the whorehouse right next to the bar. There's you know everyone gets like you know there's the uh, bullet written planks like the bullet written town signs. There's mm-hmm. there's enough adventure to sort of it's like the zombie apocalypse fantasy like. You're like thrust into this world, you'll be like a little deadlier, a little sexier, like uh, force in the neighborhood. You're not gonna be, you're not gonna be like, you know, the person who like goes out, like opens a second floor window and just to be like, yeah, get him. Like you're gonna be the person like walking down uh, the front street, and everyone's gonna be like, oh, she's trouble, <laughs> right? Um, so it's like it's small enough that there, there's a strong individual impact. Um, and lawless enough that, like, that impact is non-directional. Mm-hmm. That, like, if you wanted to, you could, like, really shift the fortunes of a few people. Like, or you ride out into the frontier to, like, discover Lucky Pete's treasure. Yeah, I think, and that's, I think that's part of what people really like about the space narrative, is that the frontier narrative used to be the idea that you still had a way to make your own space like you could go out to something that was theoretically you know unowned land obviously mm. you know that's not true right but like you could go and you could make a space that was your own and make a honest quote-unquote honest living from that space and like we don't have that here so now it's like what people want now is is that space has to be space right. like yeah space. yeah and then yeah. molly you're gonna I, I guess what I'm I'm wanting to get to, and maybe we'll pick this up in a minute. You still want to say what you're saying, but just is the the idea that there. I think that this kind mm-hmm. of thing that we're describing is different than what I think is the more 
um, straightforwardly anthropological, I don't really want to call it that, but sort of anthropological in the pejorative sense, um, colonial uh, narratives of like a Stargate um, where... Mm-hmm. Well, I just went through that one. I okay. Don't, I don't know So that the premise of Stargate, um, and there are a few different Stargate series, but the premise is basically like um, the U.S. military discovers this ancient alien technology uh, that allows them to go between different worlds. So basically this ancient alien race um, created this technology that allowed people to travel between different worlds and Mm -hmm. different planets and stuff um, through the Stargate. Um, And so the U.S. military discovers it and begins sending... um, sending, They send teams through, basically, to explore different worlds. Um, and they make allies and, you know, they make enemies and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, but what sort of becomes the, the overarching sort of narrative is this, this idea of discovery of like going to these new planets and sort of like, um, not claiming them exactly, but, but sort of categorizing them and, and cataloging them for Mm -hmm. the purposes like literally the purposes of the u.s military um and then in a spin-off series stargate atlantis they go to this um space station basically um under the sea no (laughs) uh they're in the space station in this part of space that they haven't explored and they get stuck there and while they're there, they, they are just going out to, like, planets that are nearby, basically. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's incredibly colonial in, in how it mm-hmm. works. Right. It's, it's, uh, is it, is it like, um, the hatchet writ large? There's, like, oh, our plane slash gate crashed, and now we have to eke out a living on this planet until, the, <laughs> until we're rescued. Yeah, kind of. But I think um, there's people in hatchet that he's... Yeah. Only in this case, yeah, they, like, come up against different... Like, the first thing they do is wake up this, like, hibernating evil alien species and, like, let them loose upon the world. So then they're like, oh, we have to, like, stop them because... They wake them up with their body heat? I don't remember what they did, but they did something stupid. They just, like, sneezed or something. Um, Poked it. But so, like, I just feel like baked into the premise, right, is is this idea of exploration Mm -hmm. that I think isn't about the sort of, like, frontier town fantasy, mm-hmm. but is a more directly sort of, like, anthropological colonial project. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think um, that's the kind of... Uh... Though, I mean, obviously they're related. I just think... Yeah, well, it's still, it's still yeah. fantasy. It's a fantasy of mapping um, and making known what was unknown and therefore, like, in some sense, claiming that space now mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for the, you know, the knowledge of the future or whatever. Right. And that's... Yeah, I think that's really interesting, like, the way that these are... Uh, bundled into like, oh, we do it because we have to, like, for knowledge, for, for what makes like what makes us human is that we see unknown space mm-hmm. and then we fuck it, <laughs> uh, like, and then we we fill it up. Um, oh boy. Okay, okay. I didn't really <laughs> mean for it to get that explicit, but like we we see an unexplored space, we fill that unexplored space. Um, like if you see a mountain, you know, why did you climb that mountain? Because it's there, because we can, um, what are y'all doing? We're just looking at our list. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think the two are definitely related in a, 
I mean, it's interesting because there's almost two narratives that we're trying to explore. One being the frontier town and the mm-hmm. Wild West one. And the other one being like Little House on the Prairie. We're carving <laughs> out our individual life on the from the sod. Well, and in a way, right, one is the precursor to the other. That's right? true, So yeah. like what what we get in the in the star trek or whatever in the firefly comes <clears throat> excuse me comes after uh after they go through the stargate and they start like setting mm-hmm. up posts across the galaxy so sometimes that's still what star trek is is doing i think maybe not deep space nine but like the regular one like they're going out i mean it's a, it's space the final frontier and like part of what they're doing is cataloging other planets mm-hmm. and species that they have not encountered yet mm-hmm. Um, and making connections so that the Federation can expand its reach. Yeah. In supposedly, like, in pursuit of peace. Like, they want to know these other places and be able to respond to them. But it's really, you know, expanding what they have, in some sense, some control over. So and bringing is, them into the Federation. What is the... What does a tricorder do again? What? The the tricorder, Isn't the... Is that just their, like... Is that... Does it, like, it scans things or something? Like, I was... It's a multifunction handheld device used for sensor oh. scanning, data analysis, and recording data. Okay, yeah, because I, I was going to say... I don't um, know the show very well. I just know the movie. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, because when you set the the catalog... 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 Uh, catalogization. No, catalog... <laughs> Catalyzation, no. Categorization. Categorization. <laughs> um, Cataloging? Yeah, yeah. Of, of things, it's like the, the tricorder features heavily into that, where, you know, it is kind of a multi-tool, but it's sort of like, we have this, you know, five-legged saw monster. <laughs> it's like, we're going to scan it with a tricorder, and it's going to be like, it's very weak, the tummy rubs. Right. Um, I mean, and like, like it's it's not coincidental, or it's it's very deliberate, the fact that, like, the the cast of a or the crew of a mm-hmm. uh a ship in Star Trek just like a team in Stargate SG or Stargate any of them um is not just I mean theoretically it's in Star Trek it's not military at all but okay they all have guns yeah they know how to use them. um but uh but you know usually there's like a scientist and mm-hmm. some sort of like anthropologist Doctor. somebody who knows something about languages yes. mm-hmm. um. And in, in Stargate, it's the same. You know, they have, like, their scientists and their anthropologists and, like, um, their historian mm-hmm. that they they um, rely on because it is this... Um... A historian? Yeah. Like, they're like, hey, this really reminds me of oh. <laughs> Troy. Okay, so in, in Stargate, because it was this ancient alien <laughs> oh, civilization... Oh, I see, I see. Okay, that makes basically sense. Basically, one of the main characters is this guy who, like, uh, everybody was like, you're crazy, because he was one of those, like, a- aliens built the pyramids, dudes. Okay, so uh, he's like, he's like, okay, so he's in... But he's, he's right, <laughs> because oh my God. in Stargate, aliens built the pyramids and all the, like, you know, it's one of those terrible things. So they bring him um, on, he's like, what's your skill? And he's like, well, I believe that aliens built the pyramids, <laughs> which is a skill unique to me. Well, and all the Egyptian gods... We're actually aliens. That's kind of oh rude. That's like, That's not, that does not. That has not. There's a Indiana Jones. Thing there's a lot of problems with one. Stargate. A lot of problems. <laughs> In fact, I think all the gods, ancient Ever. gods, were. See, that's, there are also Norse gods that. That's show that's up. always pisses me off. Because like, what about the Christian god? Why yeah. can't the Christian god be an alien too? Maybe Three in one man. Yeah, how'd that work? Yeah. Must be aliens. Yeah. <laughs> 
Or like some kind of Transformers esque like robot. Transubstantiation. <laughs> it's a miracle. Oh, <laughs> that just reminds me of when. Okay, never mind. It's not okay. Um, okay, so so we're, we're we've sort of gone over what the what the fundamental appeal of space, the final frontier, is, and even though we're sort of crossing a lot of like subgenres within sci-fi, mm-hmm. like we're talking about the western western elements of it the settling of it settling of it the um categorization of the unknown mm-hmm. um do you i mean that's just sort of interesting to me just uh because thinking about some of the books i've read that tried to uh invert this mm-hmm. um i'm thinking about aurora which is like this pretty solid book about a generation ship which is basically like you know, shit will take us 300 years to get to this planet. So we're going to have to like, there's going to be people who live and die on this ship who like never reach there. That's terrifying. Um, yeah, because there's no faster than light travel. So they're yeah. like, we got to do what we can. And uh, so it's kind of spoiler alert for um, the rest of Aurora uh, now. So, but they spent a long time getting there. And then they find out like the planet that they surveyed, which they thought was habitable, isn't oh no it's our galactica all over it. and it's not necessarily like it's like been burnt to a crisp it's just like the one it's kind of shitty they're just like one thing they notice is like oh there's always 70 mile per hour winds like everywhere <laughs> on the planet so like this kind of sucks and two there's like some kind of weird prion disease like it, it, there's like very primitive life um but that life is basically like fatal to people and there's no real way to develop vaccine with like the resources they have so they basically head back and the rest of the book is about them trying to get back to earth because on a ship that was not designed for a two-way <laughs> oh my ship God, this is um and basically the the proposals and a lot of it's like the uh, internecine like conflicts on the ship um and like the the com- and like at the end when they do make it to earth and not without some significant sacrifices mm-hmm. um <laughs> there's this very memorable scene where they're at a conference about colonization and the person and the person at the head's like, it doesn't matter if like 90% of the people we send into this of these seeds we send into space will die. We must like, it is humanity. It is like the very essence of humanity to like sow ourselves into the stars. And the woman like physically attacks him because like all of her friends are dead. Mm. And in this like extremely grueling, like, no, there was no lesson that was learned, mm-hmm. right? Like, they they spent 200 years getting to a planet. They lost, like, 75% of the population on the ship just getting there. And on the way back, they lose another 50% plus, like, an unknown extra percent on this, like, hibernation process to make get them back without using up all their resources. So it's that kind of, like, this, uh, why, like, you know, why is this so important to us? Right now, it's important to us because I think, um, there's a lot of talk about us blowing ourselves up mm-hmm. before uh, and having another planet just seems like a great redundancy mm-hmm. plan. Um, but I think like when it was written, it was there was like this whole interrogation of like, you know, what would the costs of colonization be for us to like ethically not pursue it? Like if if like ninety percent of the ships we sent out, if if like ninety nine percent of ships we sent out died. Uh, would we do it? Like, would would that be an acceptable price to pay? Um, and I think the the book is sort of not necessarily saying no, but saying like, you know, you have to 
it's kind of like goofy, like not goofy, but you have to honor their sacrifice or you have to consider like these are full lives or ending um, for the pursuit of something that's very nebulous. Yes. <laughs> right? Sorry, sorry. So so this yeah. kind of takes the colonization one. It's just like, um, and it kind of even approaches it from a direction that's like unique in that it's not uh, about uh, upending life or about like, you know, first contact. It's just like thing we got fucked up. I wanted to talk at some point about uh, Imperial Rash or... Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I was yawning. Um, I mean, and I don't know to what extent it does or doesn't sort of fit with our, our theme, but I feel like so much of it about is about, like, the idea of colonizing space yeah. and, and, and the costs and, like, the realities of, of colonization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Imperial Ratch, which is also the Angsleri series, and, and uh, the first book especially, Ancillary. Ancillary, Ancillary thank you, Ancillary Justice, um, has a has like a prolonged uh, section about colonization, like the Imperial Ratch. I mean, um, it's impi- they're imperial. They're, yeah, like... <laughs> like it's in their name. <laughs> they go out, they conquer shit, um, and they you know brutally su- you know subjugate the the natives. Um, in this case, they're usually like in- formerly independent human colonies, um, but there is like an extended sort of thing on colonization in the first book. And, I mean, in the rest of the books, too. Um, but I think it's it's most... Yeah, the, the first book is, like, the most intense about it. Or, like, you get the most about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, like, really underlies the entire premise of the of the trilogy. Yeah. Um, yep, I don't know what else to say about it. Okay, well... It's really good. Yeah, I mean, it's really good. I really recommend it. Um, so let's... So the first book... And sorry, Becky, have you no, read no, the... No, go ahead. I have not, but I, that's okay. fine. Uh, in the first book, Ancillary Justice, it's kind of, um, the problem is, like, you know, keeping a population in line, um, especially when your officers kind of might be going native, in a sense. So be developing sympathies for the population you're, you're subjugating for the ways in which uh, imperialism is enacted. So this is kind of like the messy, like, you have a very efficient, you know, metropole clockwork system. But in the meantime, you're going to, like, exacerbate racial differences. You're going to, like, you know, make an, ex- you know, forcibly draft uh, the population. Um, like, you know, make this into a pseudo-police state. Like, make this into this very rough um, intermediary state where no one can really trust each other. Um, so they turn to you, the occupying forces, to fix things for them. And con- kind of maybe over a period of multiple generations, so... You can control the flow of knowledge uh, and like the oral uh, preventing stuff other than maybe oral tradition and suppressing even that um, to create a, an, an effective citizen of the empire, um, mm-hmm. unit of the empire. And everyone's addressed as citizen, which... Yeah, <laughs> citizen. Is that, is that in true in that book, actually? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember. Okay, well, it might be in the other book that they call it, uh, the other book by her, which is called provenance where they call each other citizen all the time i think that's that's that might be it um but uh, i was going to add on that oh oh and one of the other things that it considers is the idea like the idea of of space of distance um in the idea so basically there's sort of a very central like it's the center of the of the empire and that's sort of the originator or whatever 
Um, and it talks about, like, the further away colonies are from there, um, then, like, of course the more sort of, quote-unquote, diluted that becomes, the, the sort of central practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks about, like, the ways that local culture becomes um, integrated into or married to or sort of forcibly converted to um, the imperial practices. Um mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't know, I think it just does a, a really uh, smart job of, of showing the ways that um, imperialism is adaptable mm-hmm. um, and, and can sort of fit into places by being accommodating in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think, I think that's a great point. Like, the adaptability of imperialism, like, we, we care about these things... We'll give you these things that you th- you know that's not important to us. Yeah. Um, let's see what else, Becky. Did you want to talk about Sailor Moon at all? <laughs> um, there's not as much to say about that. I was just thinking about space and things I know about, and <laughs> the know, moon. Sailor Moon is like one of the only things I know about anymore. Because um, there's no space in Shakespeare, really. <laughs> I don't think. I could talk about the stars and the moon. Ooh, I could talk about. No, that's not really <laughs> relevant. Anyways, well, Sailor Moon is just interesting, I think, to think about um, if we want to move into anime. I don't know if you guys want to talk about Cowboy so, Bebop. But, yeah, um, I think Cowboy Bebop uh, like, definitely fits the space western. Yeah. Um, they, it literally is, you know, see you later, space cowboy. But if I'm actually very curious to hear where the where space factors into Sailor Moon. I mean, okay, well, I always first thought, of all... I always thought they the, just stayed on Earth. No, well, okay, so there's three timelines in the story. No, I'm trying to make this really brief. Um, okay. So in their past life, she is the princess of the moon, um, and all of her sailor scouts are from the different planets. And those planets are actually destroyed by um, the war that occurs on Earth. And so they are the only ones who survive. The, the queen at the time sends Princess Serenity, a.k.a. Usagi, a.k.a. Sailor Moon, and her friends and her Wait, guard so... and her love back. Like into the, She sends them into the future on Earth because it's the only planet that survived. Okay, so there so was then... like another, there was like Saturn plus like a smaller Saturn planet. What? The Saturn still exists. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's just like like the life was all destroyed. That's why they're lifeless. Oh, so there I were see. kingdoms on each planet. I see. Okay, okay. okay there so you go. so like it's interesting. Mainly, I was interesting because the the threats all come from outside of the solar system, and so you get all the threats coming in. And what's mainly why I wanted to bring it, it's just it's, I think it's cool. Sailor Moon literally just heals everyone. And then they're all good, and they either leave or they decide to stay on Earth as like humans. Um, so, so, so it's, it's like a, it's like the opposite. Where things come to Earth instead, mm, but she are, still transforms. Oh yeah, them. she transforms them into something civilized to be on Earth. So, she heals them into a kind of a human. So do they? Are they monstrous at first? That she like yeah. literally humanizes them. What happens is that the minions pretty much all are destroyed because they aren't. Like, yeah, we don't know what they are, okay, if they're, okay. like, if there's, like, just energy mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but usually the the kind of human-looking subjects that come from outer space and that are leading the attacks, she, um, either they destroy themselves in their own greed, or she ends up being able to, like, convert them to her side and, like, heal them. With her magic moon rod. So this kind of, yeah, yes. <laughs> okay, so, so this is interesting because I didn't know that before. 
Um, but it also echoes stuff like, you know, I think in Dragon Ball Z, there's like a lot of people who just like show up on Earth, and then they like end up being good, becoming good guys or mm-hmm. something. That's all I know about Vegeta. Um, this is also what happens in Steven, Steven Universe. Universe. I was just about to say that too. Like Steven Universe also has this like very similar plot where invaders from another planet and especially the moon at one point like decide that you know humans are great or like steven universe is about like healing in a sense Mm -hmm. um these invaders to recognize imperialism bad Mm -hmm. um so so what we have here that's interesting because i like this idea um of the inverted frontier narrative where there is another alien capital and earth is like the frontier Mm -hmm. that keeps like making people go native basically everyone wants to come and they want to take the power of earth like they want to either like kill everyone off and they just survive or they just want to take ownership of even the people there Mm -hmm. so it really is just a reversal but yes they all they all go native i mean Um, i feel like they're humanized in a sense that's the see i think the thing about that is really interesting is i feel like we we get this alien invasion plot that's Mm -hmm. not unusual but i feel like usually it's resolved through war right you know like um i'm sure when we get to whatever the next avengers movie is right Mm -hmm. like they're gonna gonna fight off all the bad aliens and they'll make friends with some good aliens well they already did yeah they already did that and then what's the um Oh, like the live, die, repeat. There's all these aliens that come in and are trying to just destroy the world, and they die. And what happens in Arrival? Arrivals, they the aliens come and they try to communicate with the aliens. They just oh. talk to the aliens. Oh, okay, sorry. For some reason, I thought that was a lot more destructive. Never mind. <laughs> no, it's actually great. I literally, I really like Arrival. Um, I've only read the short story, but oh no, uh, I wasn't saying anything. Mm. Look at yeah, yeah, but like we we have this like it's fundamentally distinct from. Independence Day or something where... Oh, that's the only one, yeah. Yeah, like, you're like, we have to shoot them off mm-hmm. the planet um, versus, uh, I don't know, I feel like there's another one I'm thinking of, but, like, them coming and they're like, oh, um, Tales of Future Folk. Um, oh, yeah. Which I think is is this funny Netflix show that... Movie. Movie that I... That was really good except for this really one horrible, terrible scene. Oh, no. Um... Which is which is not necessarily awful, but it's just so blind. Anyways, it's, we... it's going to be like it's one of those scenes that just gets worse and worse because it's like very. Um, it's like oh, this woman isn't really into this dude. Let's make a joke about it and let's keep going and let's keep going. Let's see how far we can keep going with this. Um, and it's like it's, not... it plays this. It's it's just like it's going to play real poorly nowadays. Right? Um, yeah. It's like it's a very the sitcom trope of like the woman who doesn't like the guy, but the <clears> guy like keeps showing up and she realizes and you know keeps doing nice things for her. Oops. Um. Anyways, so that one is literally like a person is sent to Earth to kill all life on Earth via a bioweapon so they can move there, and then you know the person discovers music which doesn't exist on their home planet and is like enchanted by it and decides not so to kill So they start them. a folk band instead. <laughs> it's actually really, I just like, I really wish this one really horrible scene just wasn't in it because it's great. Well, and that is kind of, it seems like a lot of what we're thinking through is like obviously like post-colonial kind of mm-hmm. narratives, but also it sounds like, um, I just want to say this because of the class I was taking was like post-human narratives where it's, um, but 
not in the way where you're like respecting the, the non-human and considering the non-human it's in its own capacity but the non-human has to be humanized for us to kind of see them um or see it in any way as kind of valuable or or worth um mm-hmm. kind of surviving i guess in that sense mm-hmm. which you get when you're with the colonial narratives of um okay they arrive on this planet the um are, are the aliens or whatever life is there going to be welcoming or do they have to destroy it for their own safety same with um, aliens coming like are they actually coming to destroy or are they just coming to like exchange knowledge um and usually in those situations they either appear humanoid in order for us to kind of see them in these um acceptable ways or they have to have kind of human qualities where it's like they like music i feel like that was oh remember and um there was a there was a star star an old star trek movie where aliens came and were destroying the world because there were no whales. And I just thought that was, like, the, the cutest. They were like, oh, my God, these aliens are just destroying the world. And they were like, it's because we didn't have whales. Like, they just like animals. So, <laughs> you know? so as in, like, they wouldn't destroy the world if there were whales? Yeah, or if, so like... they had to go back in time because the whales were extinct. They had to go back in time into present day. And it save was the actually, whales? Yeah, they had to, no, they had to bring, like, two whales back <coughs> put them in the ocean, and then the drills left. So, like, they had been drilling into the world and, like, just killing the Earth. So, is it is it that they were like, hey, so I'm just, I, I, I love this premise. <laughs> I just so um, great. And I'm just trying to figure out whether it was, A, they were like, oh, we're finally at this place where we can see, all oh, the whales are gone, this sucks, let's trash the place. I don't, I don't or was know. it like, this place is, this place has no recognizable life form, so we're just going to start drilling on it, oh, wait. They, it they does do. have whales. It was just the got, only sound keep. they were getting from the spaceship was the sound of whales. And so they realized that they had been, like, they were trying to commute. Mm. So I don't know if they were, like, in the spaceship were, like, really smart whales. Who <laughs> 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 were, like, like, where are our brethren of the Earth? Yeah, it was just, I have no idea. I like this idea. But I, didn't, like... I couldn't hate the aliens at the end because all they were looking for was this one species mm-hmm. that humans had killed off. Right. So I think that sometimes when you... That's, like, completely off the subject I was trying to do, but the idea of, kind of, the, there's a colonial narrative, but also, like, the, the humanization, or the dehumanization of the alien species mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to kind of, yeah, I mean, justify what happens to them. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty interesting, because it is, like, a hokey, but unique take, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, uh like a sentient coral reef comes in the next Star Trek movie and it's like you've destroyed all the coral reefs <laughs> and they have to go back and undo global warming oh, um, would that'd, be, very, that'd be great that would be nice um, <laughs> but no I think this and frontier narratives are always pretty interesting like I really like the Annihilation series or the Area X series um, where it is like kind of explicitly it's an interesting book because like, it's a team of uh, team of four gets sent into this area called Area X where plant life and biology works differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of begins as uh, a kind of, like, we're trying to figure out what this is so we can live there. But then it becomes a sort of, like, we're on the opposite side of the frontier. Like, the Area X is expanding, oh. and we don't know how to, like, contain it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought was really, really interesting. And uh, it is very scythe, like kind of fantastical in nature, but um, it's about like bleeding through, bo- like boundaries bleeding through um, syntactically, like uh, emotionally, and like just uh, linguistic breakdown is also another part of it. It's just a really interesting book mm-hmm. uh, that I really enjoy. 
They're making a movie. They're making a movie. It looks a lot. It looks like they put an ape monster in there. Maybe, but the cast is really good. The cast is really good. I'm, I'm probably going to end up seeing it. Um, oh, one thing I thought of also is, um, I don't know, in Three-Body Problem, mm-hmm. in the section where we're getting it from the point of view of the aliens, um, remember this? Yeah, yeah. And, like, and like we're getting their sort of invasion plan. Um, and I thought that was really, I don't know, unique. Uh-huh. Not just that we were getting it, but, like, the, the effort that went into making them just thoroughly non-human, mm-hmm. um, really, in any way, as we, like, understand what their their plan is and how they're sort of going about doing it. Three Body Problem is also, like, a very interesting uh, series because, one, because of the things, like, in the first book, it's kind of a straight-up, like, here's how the aliens are trying to rule Earth, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. They're just sort of like, we got it. We just, we're leaving. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things I found interesting about it, especially in the latter books, uh, which there will be spoilers, some spoilers for um, just this concept of uh, why don't, why haven't we heard from other planets? And it's just because uh, in, in this, in this bleak world that the author has created, um, Alien civilizations view each other as, like, view colonization as zero-sum games. So, like, the moment that someone becomes aware of another civilization, it's like a shoot-or-be-shot situation. Mm -hmm. So they immediately annihilate any civilization that, like, kind of pokes its head up. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, and it's really... And it's kind of like there is no colonization in that case because every time you colonize, you're just painting another target on your head. Uh, which is very, like, oof, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and then the only two ways to uh, avoid it is, one, sealing yourself off permanently from the rest of the universe, uh, which is, like, or... I'm actually not sure. I, I don't remember <laughs> what the second one is. Oh, developing a, a certain type of travel that outraces th- these, like, doomsday weapons, but in the process, like not outracing, like, the eventual death of the universe due to these doomsday weapons being deployed at astronomical scales. So it's super bleak. Um, Wow. I only read the first one, so... (laughs) Yeah. It's actually kind of funny how the book pivots in the second and third ones. Apparently. Um, Very hard. Did it ever get any characters? (sighs) Not really. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Anyway, I think we should wrap up and do our last segment. Right, um, uh, which, yeah, and then, okay, yeah, we'll, we're uh, just talking about what we've been consuming. What we've been consuming, although we should probably announce that this this or the next one will be our last episode that we record together, uh, yeah. because someone decided to move back to California yeah. for a quote-unquote dream job. <laughs> yeah, I, I recently accepted an offer... Uh, in San Francisco at a, at Supergiant, um, which I can, which is a company I respect a lot. So I'm moving back after <laughs> three months of living in... It's been like six months. Six months? Five yeah. to six. Five, okay. Yeah, I mean, you came in what? August. August. Uh, yeah. August, September, October, It's, it's almost six. It's like... Oh, yeah. Okay, you're right. You're right. That makes me feel better, but not that... Okay. Um, oh, <laughs> after like half a year in Michigan... Um, so yeah, I'm moving back to California. We'll still 
do this podcast, it'll just be in the older format where we're recording in separate rooms. Yeah. Um, Which may help the audio, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, which gives me more leverage to pull when filtering out the audio, but... Uh, all right. So, what have you been consuming lately? Let's start with Alice. I have... Uh, well, okay, so one, I was reading Judith Butler for a <laughs> transgender uh, discussion class. Um, I'm sort of auditing with a, with a friend, uh, at Umich, uh, which was very enlightening. I think this is the second time I've read Judith Butler and, like, the first time I'm actually equipped to engage with the things it's, with things she talks about. Um, but in less interesting news, I also read another pulpy book in the Daniel Craig, uh, Craig Schaefer series and watched Devilman Crybaby oh, yeah. at the request of one of my dearest and closest friends. Um, and it was not that great <laughs> um i guess so to be clear okay so devil man cry right i just look i just, just want to do put this out there because no one on the earth explains what anime is about they always like refer to it elliptically like it's like this precious puzzle um <laughs> or like this rhyming couplet of a of a secret that can only be understood like it's because they don't want to spoil you or they don't want to drive you away before you watch it because you know, and I think that's cruel. So anyways, Devil Man Cryberry is about a man who's part devil with his, like, gay, evil boyfriend. Um, and, like, they go around trying to kill other devils, but also trying to, like, figure out what makes humans human and devils devils. And at the end, it becomes, like, a very uh, expanded plot about, like, humanity like humans are the real monsters what yeah so new i know mind blown <laughs> humans are the real devils the real devil mans and the crybabies and the crybabies yeah he's, it's called devil man crybaby because he cries a lot for other people it's like a foundation street that he's just like really big-hearted and he like I thought they were trying to kill people oh they're killing they're killing, they're killing demons the, yeah oh, demons okay. who like kill other people got it he has like a very like batman moral code like he won't kill a human but he leather will kill flap? demons okay leather flap is the most gross like leather culture name for anything i've ever heard this is how it was um translated in like what dutch nor I don't remember what Oh, it was. I didn't know the context for it. I didn't oh, know Batman said, was leather flap and dust. I sent you... Oh, yeah, okay. sorry. I didn't send you... Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. This is very awful. <laughs> okay, are you done talking about Devilman Crybaby? Okay, uh, also, he he keeps going like, I I have the body of a demon, but the heart of the man. I'm the devil man. Like, I'm not a devil. I'm a devil man. I'm like, come on. All right, so uh, go on, Molly. I'm just salty from having spent so much time watching it. That was the choice you made. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I gave you many opportunities to get out by making fun of it repeatedly yeah, as you're okay. playing, or as you're watching, you just kept going. Um, we finished watching Avatar, huh. Last Airbender. So good. Um, so I'll let Becky talk about that. Um, otherwise, I don't know, I'm, I'm reading Mansfield Park for a class. It's my second or third time reading it, I think second, um, and I'm really enjoying it a lot more than I did the first slash time I read it. Edmund. Yeah, slash being like, Edmund! You fool! Open your eyes! <laughs> um, but I I have a lot more appreciation, I think, for, for what's going on than I did last time, because I think last time I was like, why isn't this as romantic as Pride and Prejudice? <laughs> uh, Emma was so much more fun. But now, now I'm enjoying it a lot more. Men's Field Park. I just want to say that. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, Thank you, Alex. Otherwise, I don't think I have anything else. I'm continuing to watch Frasier. So I can't make fun of anything anybody watches. Yeah, that's true. Becky, um, how about you? Yeah, so like Molly said, we finished up Avatar, and it was very enjoyable, though now we have nothing to watch, which has proved to be a bit upsetting. Um, I loved Suko. I'm not going to go into my feelings on the, the show. It would take too long, but it was really fun. Um, I am currently trying to finish a book called um, Eon. It's, it's part of There's just two books. It's Eon and then Iona. And I don't remember who the author is. It's a reread. It's a good book. Um, and I've been reading for class a lot of Shakespeare. Um, I'm finishing up his his first historical tetralogy. So four plays. It's been fun. There's a lot of death. Really cool, powerful woman. Um, people chilling, killing children because they're in the line of the throne. It's very. It's a. It's a civil war. It's the War of the Roses. Um, so that's interesting. And, um, yeah, I, you know, reading a lot of fan fiction that I shouldn't be reading. Same. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, as usual, you can follow us on Twitter at StoryGut, at StoryGutsCast, um, or individually. I'm at the Molly Jean, M-O-L-Y-J-E-A-N-N-E. Uh, and I'm at... Uh, Alonculus, A-L-O-N-K-U-L... O-U-S? O-U-S. Uh, I... Yeah. Uh, Becky, do you want to advertise anything? Um, I mean, I'm on Twitter. I don't do much, though. But, um, I don't even remember if my handle is Hickson Beck or Hickson Becky. So, I, I feel like Hickson Beck. But... Probably. I'll, I'll, I'll retweet Becky at some point. Okay. I can see her there. <laughs> um... And you can email us at storygutscast at gmail. Eventually we'll check that. No, I've been checking okay, it. Okay, good. I haven't. Uh, there's also been a billing dispute that I'm engaging in with Podbeans. Oh, no. Uh, because I, I purchased, I purchased like, the yearly package that gives you a discount, but then they charge me the annual, the monthly subscription, so now oh, I'm trying shit. to get, mm, trying to get my, money back. my $14 back. <laughs> Tight. Um, okay, I, th- I think that's it. So thanks for listening. This has been Story Guts. Um, I'm Molly Curran. I'm Elle Sly. I was Becky Hickson. You are still Becky Hickson. Do you want to do our tagline? No, I'm good. Oh, just say it? Yeah. Stay hungry. Good job. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs)